Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. So we're doing a, we're in the middle of a kind of a series and a bunch of series, but really what we're doing is we're walking through the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of 1 Samuel is such an incredible just book. And what makes it so incredible are the different characters that we get to study throughout the book. And, and really, as the, for the purpose of our series and what we've been talking about, we've really been focusing on two, okay? You got David and you've got Saul. And in 1 Samuel, David's a really good character, a really good example, that he's someone that we've been saying that David is the king that the people needed. And then you've also got this character that's Saul. And Saul is not. Like, he's just, he's not. Like, he's, he is the example that you look at and you say, yeah, I, I don't want to do what he did. The reality is that probably if we were to really just be honest with ourselves, so we look a lot more like Saul than we look like David. But, but still, as we consider Saul and as we consider the text this morning, it's, it's a really powerful example of how jealousy can take us to places and cause us to do things that make us look foolish. And it probably starts out maybe a little simple and just like a couple thoughts and how it ends up taking us places we would never really want to go when we think about jealousy. And jealousy is one of those things that we, again, no one here struggles with it, I know, but when you were a kid, you probably did. And when you think about it as a kid, it's kind of cute and funny. When you think of it as an adult, you really just want to push it aside. I was thinking about this example in my house. I've got two kids, Jack and Madeline. Jack's seven, Madeline's five. And um, my daughter, Madeline, she hates eating. Like, she just hates eating. Like, I don't, it, it, and honestly, that's really contingent on what grandparent she was with the day, that day. But like, that's neither here nor there. But so, um, so she, she, she will, at dinner, we do this thing where we give them vegetables. Like, it's this, we think, hey, maybe if they eat them now, they'll eat them when they're old. So, so we give them vegetables and Madeline just like like she'll look at a like a thing of broccoli like she's never seen one before okay like she doesn't know like and so we found that like if we start cheering for her when she eats it like she'll eat it and so anybody watching would be like this is the stupidest weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life but you're gonna try it if you struggle with those your kids and so like She's, so she's like eating this broccoli and like tears in her eyes. And we're like, yeah, Madeline, you got it. And like her tears like go back in her. And she's like, this is awesome. And, and so we're like, she, we're, we're celebrating the fact that she's eating this broccoli. And, and then like my son, who's seven, he looks at me. He was like, kind of like tears in his eyes, like not realizing what happens. It was happening. And he's like, dad. I finished my broccoli a long time ago and no one cheered for me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, buddy. That's, do, you, do you want me to give you another piece and we'll cheer for you while you eat it? And he's like, no, I'm good. Uh, I mean, but, but there's like this, like she's getting this like attention that he wants and because of that he's jealous and it's kind of hard. And, and when we think about Saul and, and like David is at this place. Where, where what we're seeing and what we're going to see for the, really the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is that David is doing everything Saul's supposed to do. That everything that Saul is supposed to do, David not only does it, but he does it better. 
And we're on the heels of one of the greatest fights of all time, David and Goliath. David has just defeated Goliath, really, with the odds against him, he has defeated Goliath. And not only did David defeat Goliath, but part of his victory like, resulted in these Philistine people fleeing the nation of Israel and fleeing them in such a way that, that Israel has a victory unlike they've experienced in a really long time. And because David was the one that stepped up to fight Goliath, he becomes essentially a folk hero in the nation. But he's the one who fought the battle that no one else would fight, and because he was the one that fought the battle that no one else would fight, people really are starting to love David and Israel. And when you have an insecure egomaniac for a king, that only is going to go badly. And we see that start here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 6. And it goes a little something like this. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, this is like, this is as they're walking home from defeating Goliath. Like this is maybe the next day, next couple of days. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with, sam- with, with tambourines, shouts of joy, with musical instruments, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. If this is where it stopped, this would be a different sermon. Like Up to this point, everything's okay. You've got You've got Saul getting credit for the victory because they're, 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 they're meeting King Saul. They've got these tambourines. And they're singing a song. And they're really excited about the fact that Israel is experiencing victory for the first time in a long time. And everything is okay until they sing the song. And this is the song they sing. Saul has struck down his thousands and David, his 10,000. Now, if you're here and you don't understand math, 10,000 is more than 1,000. <laughs> that what they're saying, like, and commentators are kind of split over, like, if, if this was a jab at Saul or if this is just people who didn't really know what they were doing. I, I don't know if that really matters, but, but, but what they're saying, like, their song is saying, in essence, Saul is good, David is better. Saul, he, he fought a little bit. David fought more. And when you're an egomaniac king, honestly, even if you're a secure human being, if someone is singing that song about you and you are Saul, it's only natural that you're probably going to feel what Saul felt. And we get a little bit of insight into that next. Because then Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Even if you're here and you're like secure and you think you're talented, and you are talented, but like you, you, you feel like you have a good self-image, that's, that's a song that's going to be hard for you to, to, to grasp. Like, that's something that you're going to be like, man, I just don't know that 
I can handle that. And, and, and though that's, that's there, and, and though that's real, and though that's something that he felt, I, I would point out that in Saul's jealousy and his anger, he, he really doesn't see the real problem. And I would just point out that this is a great victory at the hands of God. And if you look at the song that the people are singing, there is no mention of God whatsoever. That they, they are singing, David has saved us. That their salvation, that they see it as from the hands of a man. And this shows us an insight into the fact that the people of Israel, that what they really need is they need revival. They need reform. They need to be brought back to the one who saved them. But instead, all they can see is that this David character is their, their only savior. And it's never good to put all your hope in just one man. And the reason why we say that David is the, is the king that they needed is because David saw this. That David, when he can, when, if you were to ask David, why did you defeat the Goliath? If you were to ask David, what happened with Goliath? What David would say, is he would say, the Lord gave me the ability. And the reason why we know that's what David would say, because that's what David said. Look at what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. When he's getting ready to fight Goliath, he says, he says I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel. That this, like David gets it. He knows, I'm only gonna, I can only defeat this guy if God helps me. That victory, that salvation, that it's not going to come truly and purely from my hand, that that only comes from the hand of God anointing me to do what he's equipped me to do. And so you have this moment where Israel's clearly in need of reform, and what... And what we're seeing is we're seeing that David's going to be the one who's going to do it. And not only are we seeing that David's going to be the one that's going to do it, Saul sees it too. That what Saul does, prophetically at times when he talks about David, he sees that David, that he's on this road that ends at the throne. Because he says that line there at the end where he says, what more can David have? but the kingdom. He sees it. And because of this, because of this, this thing that's happening, because, David, because Saul sees where this is going, because David's getting more credit, Saul, he becomes blinded by his jealousy. And he's so blinded by his jealousy that really we, this, the rest of 1 Samuel 18, it's, just, it's four episodes of Saul trying to kill David. It's four little mini stories of Saul saying, I'm going to try to kill him this way. I'm going to try. And that's really what we see. And it's all because of his jealousy. And the first one's really particularly interesting. Look at this. So the next day. So they've walked home. They're back from the Philistines. They're kind of setting up shop at the house. And the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, 
because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. It, it's, it always get, grabs our attention, right? That, that line where it says the harmful spirit from God. And we mentioned it last, a couple weeks ago when the first time that kind of came on the scene. And I would just remind you that he, when it's talking about that, the picture there is of one of Saul who wants nothing to do with God. And, and these, I would say, demons, but not like that, but just like kind of internal demons. Like they're, they're inside of him. And instead of looking to God for help, Saul just continues to feed the internal demons. And, he, and Saul, he has, and I think sometimes you read that verse and you're like, man, why is God doing that to Saul? Why is God being so hard? And I would just point out that never once does Saul look to God for help. Never once. Never once does he say, hey, God, would you remove this from me? He actually, he's even aware that God's not with him. I mean, look at that last line. It says, the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul. Saul was aware. He was afraid of David because the Lord wasn't with Saul anymore. All Saul has to do is to repent. That's all he has to do. But instead he doesn't, and so the Spirit stays. And so you've got this, this happening, and you have Saul do this, this thing that is insane. He's got this guy, David, who, who just gave Israel one of the greatest military victories that they've experienced in a long time. And he's also the only one who can play for Saul to calm, down, calm him down from his demons. And, and Saul's thought is, I will, I will kill him. Because he's jealous. Because he would rather David die than the country experience the victory that they're supposed to do. And what's so interesting about this thing that happens is that I mean, Saul throws a spear at him twice. Like two, like you would think, like spear me once, shame on you. Spear me twice, shame on me. Like there, there comes a point, right, where he's like, okay, maybe it's time to go. But David just stays, keeps playing. He remains faithful. It's kind of weird. And, and if you were to ask me why, I mean, eventually David will leave Saul, and we'll see it, I think, next week. But, but I, I wonder if it's because David knows that God has called him to the throne. And he knows that he has to stay. He knows that this is the path. Like, this is what he has to do to get to where God's called him. And so, even though Saul is personally trying to kill him, he says, I'm going to remain faithful to the one who's called me. And so he does. He remains faithful. He continues to play. And then you've got, you've got Saul. And it, it's, it's just, there's so many things interesting, like little dynamics happening here. Saul's afraid of David. Like, David isn't afraid of Saul. Saul's literally throwing, and so David's not afraid of him, but, but Saul's afraid of him. And it's because, he, because Saul knows that God is with him. And he knows that he's not fighting against David, he's actually fighting against God. And you've got this David character, and what's interesting is that, that Saul uses a spear. Who else uses a spear? Goliath. They were both tall, but what some people think is happening is a first century reader would read this and think, David is just going from fighting one giant to fighting another. 
and he's just remaining faithful where he is. And so you've got Saul, and he's like, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to kill him with the spear, and he can't. And then he's like, okay, well, since I, I can't kill him with the spear, try to kill him maybe in a little bit more of a subtle way. And, and you see that in verse 13. Look at this. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. The second episode where he tries to kill him is he's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put him at an extreme military disadvantage. I'll put him out on the battlefield. He'll be outnumbered. I don't have to kill him. The Philistines can kill him. And we know that because that, this is a commander of a thousand. As far as Israel goes, that, that's a small battalion. That's a small group. And I would even point out, too, that when you think about the song, Saul was dissed in the song because he only slayed a thousand. David slayed 10,000. And so there's this picture where Saul is not giving David the resources to actually win the fight that he's supposed to win. If I don't give him everything to win, there's no way he will. And the truth is, not only does David win, he just continues to grow in prominence. I mean, probably, probably causing Saul to be all the more jealous, right? And I would just remind you, Saul's the one that's supposed to be out there fighting. He was the one who, who, who was anointed to fight for Israel. He's sending David to do what he's supposed to do. David's being successful, and not only is he being successful, but he's continuing to grow in his folk hero status. And Saul, in his jealousy, is like, okay, if I can't, if I can't kill him with the spear, and if I can't kill him subtly in battle, then maybe I can attack his heart. Maybe I can attack the internal things. Maybe Saul, and Saul's like, Saul probably realizes that what makes David great is the internal stuff more than the external stuff. And so he's like, if I, if I can just attack his confidence, then maybe that'll get him. And that's really the next episode of Saul trying to ruin David. And you see it in verse 17, where it says, Then Saul said to David, Here's my eldest daughter, Merib. I will give her to you for your wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. And David said to Saul, Who am I? Who are my relatives and my father's clan in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to someone else. So you have this scenario now where you have, have Saul. He's like, I'll get his heart. Because, man, it would be pretty cool to be married to the king's daughter. This would be my, like, this is okay. I could, be, I could do this. And David, so, so Saul makes this offer. And David responds humbly. And I would just point out, David has no human reason to be humble at this point. No human reason. He was the only one who was willing to fight Goliath. 
He was sent out with a, a really small battalion, and he just keeps destroying Philistines. That, that if, if David could respond honestly, and he'd be perfectly justified in saying, yeah, that seems about right. But instead, what David says is he's like, no, I can't. I'm not worthy to be your son. That just, who is my clan, really? Like, I, no. And Saul responds to David by saying, in essence, you know, you're right. You're right. You're, you're not. You're probably not good enough for my daughter. You're not good enough to be in my family. And, and if you know, it seems like Saul really waited to the last minute to make David aware of that. Because it says, when the time, sh- when she should have been gave- given to David, she was given to someone else. So you kind of get this picture that David's just like waiting for her. And, oh, I, went, I thought this was my wedding. It's because Saul's wicked. I mean, you got Merib too, who probably is like, so who am I marrying, Dad? And, and it, just, it shows you the wickedness of this, of this Saul character. That because he's jealous, he's, he's, he's using his daughters to try to hurt the, really the, the person who's doing what he's supposed to be doing. So it starts here with, with Merib, and then, he, then Saul gets word. He's like, hey, because Saul has more daughters, and he gets word that one of them actually is in love with David. And Saul, being the wicked opportunist that he is, he says, okay, Maybe this will be how I get him, and you see this here. In verse 20, it says, now, this, now, now Saul's daughter, Michael, she loved David. And they told Saul, and this thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And so he's like, well, he's using his daughters as carrots, just keeping them in front of David, trying to ruin him. I'd also point out that this is, you know, he's using her, like he's saying, hey, you can have my daughter in marriage. David's actually already earned one of Saul's daughters in marriage. But if you go back to chapter 17, when David was fighting, the, fighting Goliath, one of the, the rewards was, hey, you get to be part of my family, you get to marry one of my daughters. So, so David has actually already earned this, but Saul's like, ah, let's just make it a little bit harder. And you have that phrase there in the middle, that, to be a snare for him. And Richard Phillips, in his commentary on 1 Samuel, he points out that that phrase, in the Old Testament, when that phrase is used, it's almost always talking about idol worship. And so the, the idea there is what Saul is thinking, is he's thinking, you know, God is the reason why David's successful. Maybe I can get him to marry Michael, and maybe she can cause him to turn away from God. Because the only way that he's really going to continue to be successful in what he's supposed to do is as long as he stays and remains faithful to God. So he's like, maybe I can put someone on the inside who can open up his mind to other possibilities. And so he decides, I'm going to use my daughter to do that. And again, just kind of zooming out, thinking about the story, like 
if, if this is what Saul believes, think of, think of this. He would much rather, he would much rather his most successful warrior lose than someone else take the spotlight off of him. That this is what jealousy does. And so he uses Michael, and then he, he comes kind of in this, his last-ditch effort here in the end of chapter 18, and he does this like three-pronged attack to try to bring down the only person who is fighting for it, like the person who's doing what he's supposed to do, and, and you see this here. And so he's like, I, I got to come up with a bride price. I'm really going to, I'm going to get her. Like, I'm going to get him, and I'm going to make it really difficult, but this is how I'm going to get him, and you see it here. It says, the king desires no bride price. A bride price would be what it costs for him to marry Michael. Except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Can't wait to see what Mimi come up with there. Um, that he, he may, be a may, may be avenged for the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave, his, gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But Saul knew that the Lord was with David. And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. We'll get in a second, we'll get to the part that captured all of our attention. But before we do, I would just I would just draw attention to the fact that Saul wanted to use his daughter to be a snare for David. She wanted he wanted Michael to be his inside person, the one who can bring David down. And she fell in love with David. There was nothing that he could do to stop him. Now, Michael does eventually become a snare later on, but right now she's not. And so you have Saul. He's like, I'm going to try to use my daughter. It doesn't work. And then he's like, okay, well, if the, the, the small battalion wasn't it, then we'll all just make a ridiculous request for him to have to be my son in law. And so he's like, I, I want you to kill a hundred Philistines and bring me their foreskins. Like, and, and David, in typical David fashion, is like, I can do that. You know what? I'll just go ahead and bring you 200. I mean, just imagine like, what Saul must have felt when that bouquet was brought before him. Like, he, he's got to be thinking, I, I wanted this to kill him. Like, this was to kill David. This was to bring him down. And now he's more popular. He pulled this off. He's got my daughter. Everybody loves him. And I look at this like this weird guy that makes straight, like, he's got nothing going for him now. And he's learning this lesson. This like you can't fight God. That as hard as you might try, as much as you might think strategically you've got the advantage, there is nothing you can do to fight him. He will win. And as this text ends, I mean, it ends with Saul in a tizzy. Look at this. It says, so Saul was even more afraid of David. Of course he was. 
so that Saul's enemy, so Saul was David's enemy continually. That is such a sad phrase because never does David treat Saul like he's his enemy. This is all from Saul's perspective because he's jealous. So then the commanders of the Philistines would come out to battle as they often came out and David had more success than all of the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. That it ends with really David being closer to the throne than he was after he fought Goliath. It ends with David with more notoriety and he's married to the king's daughter. But he's even a greater folk hero now. But there is this sense where it was originally just in Saul's mind that surely someday he'll take the throne. Now everybody sees it and thinks it, and the question is why? Well, one, it's because it was God's plan, but also it's because Saul was jealous. And it's because in his jealousy, he just pushed David closer to the throne. And what we learn here is we learn a lot of powerful things about jealousy. And we learn from Saul's example. And again, I know that none of us struggle with it. We only have friends who do, but if you ever talk to him about it, I think there's a few things from this that we can learn about jealousy. The first thing about jealousy is this, is that when you're jealous, you miss the real problem. The, the jealousy causes you to miss the real problem. Think about this from, from, from the perspective of Israel. You've got two really big problems there, and neither of them are David. One, you've got the fact that, that, that you have, like, you're experiencing military victory. That the, the per, and and the, the real problem is that the person who is fighting, giving you success, you want to kill. Like that, that's the real problem. But I would even argue that part of the real problem here is that you have a nation who's supposed to be God's nation that responds to God's victory by celebrating a person, not God. That this is a nation. And Saul's response, he's God's king in desperate need of spiritual reform. Just to give you kind of a comparison, but there was a battle in the book of Exodus where God delivers his people supernaturally, similarly to how God is delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And, and the response of that, of that victory was a song. And I just want to read you a snippet of the song in Exodus 15 that can kind of show you what, how you should respond to this. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Moses was the leader. No mention of Moses. He used a staff. There's no mention of the staff. But this is a song about God. Because they see their victory. They see the source of their victory. Something that Saul couldn't figure out. Oftentimes when we're jealous, what we do is instead of focusing on the real problem, we focus on people that aren't the real problem. When we're jealous, instead of focusing on the issue that really we need to deal with, what we do is we, we come up with other things and we end up getting sidetracked from doing what really we're supposed to do in the first place. But this is, what, this is what jealousy does. Not only that, but jealousy impacts the people we love. That when we're jealous, 
oftentimes the collateral damage of our jealousy, it's not, it's not us. I mean, yeah, it is, because internally we're, we're, we're a wreck, but if we're to be honest, the people who are impacted most by our jealousy are the people that we love the most. This happens to me all the time when I'm, when I'm jealous or when I'm angry or when I'm frustrated. This will, like, my kids will come to me and they'll want to talk. And because my mind, or they'll want to talk, or they'll want to play, or they'll, you know, whatever, and, and, and because my mind is somewhere else, I can be short. I can snap. And, and the kid, my kids aren't the issue. The issue is that my mind is somewhere else, and I'm, I'm letting an emotion cause me to hurt someone that I actually really care about. I mean, Saul, and yes, bride prices and things like that were very common in, in ancient Israel in that time. So look, that's true. But, but gosh, the way that he did it showed absolutely no concern for his daughter's hearts and his daughter's emotions. I mean, on the day, like when David is supposed to be married to Merib, she's given to somewhere else, someone else. You don't think that's going to impact the person? He gives Michael, he gives his daughter to this valiant warrior only for the purpose of trying to bring him down. Like there's got to be something inside of her that's like, what about love? And it all happens because he's jealous of David. It's because in the victory, they gave David more credit in the song than they gave for him. And so he takes it out on those who he cares about. You know, I think with jealousy too, it's one of those things where it, we've, got to, we've got to deal with it or we're going to continue hurting people that we love through it. And there's a couple of ways I've found that help me with my jealousy. One is just, it's very simple, but is there's something really powerful about just admitting that you're jealous. Like saying it out loud. Like I'm jealous of them because of blank. And here's the thing, I know that like you think that no one knows that and like that's why you're doing it, but everybody knows. So when you just say it, it's kind of like it's easier for everybody else. But like there, there, there's some power in just, saying, you know, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of them because they're further along than me. I'm jealous of them because they have something that I want. I'm jealous of them, like whatever the thing might be. And here's what you'll find when you verbalize it to people. Like they're going to show you grace. They're going to show you compassion. And, and, and the, the grip of jealousy kind of loses its hold on you when you admit that, that was, that's the issue. It likes to like move around in darkness. But to be able to acknowledge it is really powerful. And I also say the other thing that helps me with my jealousy is I, I do my best to celebrate people who I'm jealous of. I, I, will, I will give them credit where I can. I'll look for ways to, to give them credit behind their backs so they don't even know that I'm doing it. But for what I've found is that when I do that, it, it helps me deal with this emotion that can be very destructive in my life if I let it go unchecked. And why is that important? It's important that we learn how to deal with it because if we don't deal with it, it will impact the people that we love. It will hurt the people that are around us. So we've got to learn how to get control over it for that to happen. And then finally, I would just point out this, and um, the, the jealousy, that God uses jealous people to accomplish his purposes. <laughs> with, with Saul's jealousy, because he was like, he just moves David closer to the throne. So with every effort he does, it just it, his his purposes keep coming and coming and coming. 
You know, and, and it's, it's, you can look at the story and you can think about David and think, man, what a hero. How cool is it that David, like, and I would just say that if, if you were to talk to David in heaven and you're like, hey, tell me about 1 Samuel 18, he would probably say I hated every second of it. He'd probably, I wanted nothing, to, I would never relive that again. But I'm really glad that I was faithful because it got me where I was supposed to go. And I imagine some of you might be in that situation right now. Like you're trying to remain faithful to God. You're trying to remain faithful to do whatever it is that he's asked you to do. And, and it almost feels like maybe you don't have someone throwing spears at you. I hope not. If you, call, if you do, call the police. But, like you probably, but maybe you have opposition everywhere you turn. And it just feels like you're running against, and you're where God wants you to be. You're frustrated. I would just say that sometimes this is what God does, is he uses those purposes, difficult circumstances, to bring about what he wanted to do the whole time. And as I close, you can, you can see that because that's what he's doing with David. And not only is that what he's doing with David, that's exactly what he did with Jesus. That Jesus, that he had to walk through the cross before he got the crown. I like the way that the author of Hebrews says it. And they say it this way. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And if you're walking through something that you don't want, I would just say to you, you're in really good company. David did, and so did Jesus. And if you can remain faithful, if you can keep your character in check, if you can continue to be faithful to what God asks you to do in spite of opposition, here's, that is a circumstance that will invariably result in you being more like Jesus. And I would just remind you that the reason why we have hope is because Jesus, in the face of opposition, he remained faithful. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. That he, he conquered the, the grave. And because he conquered the grave, what we have is we have hope because he did what he did. And that hope, not only does it, it give us something eternally to hold on to, but it also gives us someone that we can look to in those moments where it feels like people are throwing spears because he's endured and because he did, someday we will too. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. And God, we're thankful to be able to come into your presence. God, we're thankful that you use mad kings to teach us good lessons. And I just, I pray that you would help us. I think there's a lot of ways that we can respond. One, maybe we're here and there's some jealousy in our heart that's just kind of brewing. Help us, God, to deal with it. Let us not be like Saul. Help us to acknowledge this. Help us, help us to celebrate those people. Help us, God, as we, as we wrestle. God, maybe for some of us, the thing is that we need to be faithful in the midst of a challenging circumstance like David, that we need to be faithful, that we need, that we need to be faithful to what you've called us to do and to do it with, to the best of our abilities with all of our heart. Help us in those circumstances if that's our life, if that's what we need right now, God, give it to us. 
But God, I pray for all of us as we look to Jesus and we look to his example, I just pray that you would cause us to to personally consider our response to Jesus' example. And the first place for us to look and to ask ourselves is, okay, have we responded to that example? Have we put our faith in the one who died for us? That is, is our hope firmly planted in the fact that Jesus Christ came into this world, that he died, and that he rose. And that because he did that, we, like, is that where we are? And God, if that is not where we are, then nothing else really matters. And I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our eyes to the reality that is that, that God wants us to know him, that God wants us to have a relationship with him. And I just pray that we would respond by believing and trusting in him in such a way where we would give him our lives. Help us to do this, Lord, I pray. Jesus, go before us as we walk. Let us sense your spirit and your presence. We love you. God, we love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. If you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.